with joy. So put a smile on your face. Bigger, bigger, bigger. Like if I said, say cheese, you'd go. Get the weird smile. Yeah, there it is. You ever get a weird smile when you smile big? That joy that God is going to bring something into your being and into your life that will change everything. Isn't that good? That he can change whatever it is and all the things and make them good. And so we're going to just put our hand on our heart and get our heart ready because the word is a seed and it goes in our hearts and then we're going to demand that it be fruitful. Are you ready to produce fruit this morning? We speak over the seed going into our hearts this morning that you would cause it to be crazy fruitful, God. That we would have a fruit off of us that we've never seen before. That you would put inside of us something that would would change us, that would bring us deliverance, that would heal us, that would resurrect the the dreams inside of us. God, that you would take us to the next level of glory with you. We thank you, God, for the seed that you're bringing and the word that's anointed. And we thank you, God, for doing great wonders in this house. Things we've never seen before, God. We know you want to do it here in the midst of us because you love us so much. And we thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. And good morning to everybody online. We just uh, thank God that you're here and that you're ready to to hear what he's uh, prepared today because this is word from him. So uh, I've got something for us to to think about as we get started, something to really deeply consider and ponder. I want you to look really deep inside yourself and really, really consider what your position on God is. What do you think about And what do you really believe about God? And similarly, how does that belief affect how you live in life? Because what we think and what we believe and how we live don't always line up like they should, do they? Do you know God personally and intimately like he's told us that he knows us do you hear him speaking to you regularly clearly or is he really unknowable he's just kind of out there somewhere kind of theoretical he's this being that lets us wander around and flounder on our own all the way through life. Hmm. I'm not asking you to hold up your hands here because this is totally between you and God. I'm just asking you to be really honest with yourself here this morning and willing to to work on making that relationship with our God deeper and more meaningful, more powerful. Can you see God act and hear him talk to you, talk to us, or not? Is God knowable, or is he unknowable? 
Let's think about that right now. But first, let's pray. Father, help us to hear you and know you today more than ever. Show us signs and wonders that direct us and lead us and guide us in our words and in our thoughts and in our deeds and in our lives. Make your presence abundantly and vividly clear and help us to share that clarity with others for your sake and for ours. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I was in an executive's office the other day. A Christian executive. And he was bothered. He was concerned. Really concerned. He said to me, Have you seen the new pictures from the new uh, web telescope that's kind of replacing Hubble? I said, No. He said, Those pictures are crazy. We can see so much further into the universe than we ever could see before. And we realize now that it's so much bigger than we ever imagined. And here we are on this little blue ball spinning around the sun, this one little star. And we think that we're such hot stuff. And the only ones that, we're the only ones that know how this all happened. He goes, isn't that kind of arrogant to think that way? He says, I mean, I've got faith, but this just doesn't make sense to me. I have faith, but I have doubt too. Is that okay? And I answered him very simply by saying, what has God said to you about it? To which he actually couldn't answer. But it left a door open for me to tell him God's truth. So how did I proceed? Well, I pulled out a piece of scripture I, I consider my old standby, which in my opinion may be one of the most important scriptures for each one of us to know deeply and intimately and in the deepest parts of our heart. And I prepared myself to follow it. That scripture is John 9, 25 to 27, and it says, So for the second time they, the Pharisees, called the man who had been born blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he's a sinner, I do not know. But one thing I do know, hear this, one thing I do know is that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already and you wouldn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? In my opinion, this particular scripture is so critical for us to know as we go through life. And as we talk to those who are having trouble seeing or hearing God. Why? Because it's at the heart of what we call testimony. Your testimony. You see, regardless of what other people say or think, 
They can't go around or poo-poo or discount your testimony because your testimony is what God has said or done or shown to you. That's your reality. You own that truth. They can try to make you doubt it, but your experience is your experience. And nobody can take that away from you unless you allow them to. Not that you need to understand. I need to understand it at all. All all that God has done or, or what he's done for you. But the very fact that you know that something has happened between you and God gives you credibility and authority to witness about God and about his impact on you. So own your testimony. Practice it. Know how to pull it out of the storage closet and use it whenever God tells you to. Whether it's the long version or the short version, whatever's whatever's right for that occasion, and God will tell you that too. Remember he told them, I don't know all the particulars, but what I do know is that once I was blind and now I see, and I owe it all to Jesus. I do know that once I was in trouble and Jesus showed up and he did this and this and this for me, I do know that and fill in the blank. And that statement takes the burden of proof off of you and puts it directly on God. And that makes it a fact that is virtually indisputable. And most people aren't going to try and argue with God. I've had it happen multiple times. And yet it's still rather easy to state the fact and let God do the convincing. Anyway, that's what was going through my mind as I started to talk to this executive because this guy's really smart. And so I wasn't even going to try to argue with him on an intellectual basis because that's just useless. But I do know some things for certain. Like how God has lived and acted and worked and spoken in my life, both to me and through me. I know for a fact how he gives me courage that I don't have on my own. And wisdom that isn't for me. And how he seems to push me into situations that I wouldn't ordinarily go to on my own. How he gives me insight and words to speak that aren't of me or my thinking. And so understanding that all, I went in full bore. What was I doing? I was bragging on God and what he's done in my life for me and how I don't doubt him, but how I know what he's done and thusly what he will do for all who know him, all who trust him and love him. And I cited particulars. Like when I was virtually at the edge late last fall and saw and heard the wonder and amazement that was coming directly from his eternity. 
At that time, I felt his protection like never before. I knew his presence was around me. When nobody knew what to do, I heard his words of comfort to me and was wrapped in his presence and strength when I didn't know how to deal with anything anymore. And it was all God that got me through it. It was all about God, not the doctors, because they didn't know what they were doing. It wasn't me because I couldn't do much of anything. It was God and His grace. I don't have to understand it. I just know that it was. And that's what I testified to. God and His power to do anything He wants, even make things we don't have the capacity to understand, like millions of stars and galaxies. The only thing about that statement, about being able to testify to what God has done, is that in order to do that, we've got to be able to hear him when he speaks. And be willing to see him when he acts. Be able to acknowledge him when he's right there in front of our eyes. I know it sounds easy. But our world has tried to make that not so easy for us to do. To go along with that, you know. Our world uses interesting words. Words that I really don't like. You know what one of those words is? It's so common. Coincidence. Hmm. Everything gets thrown into the box called coincidence. Isn't that a coincidence? No, it wasn't. That was God working and showing us something firsthand. So pay attention to it and listen to what he's trying to tell you through it. Kind of goes along with another word I, I dislike vehemently. And that word is luck. Good luck. Or you're so lucky. Half the time we don't even realize that we're saying it, much less what it means. For instance, did you know that the Webster definition of luck says, luck is a force that brings good fortune or adversity. The events or circumstances that operate for for or against an individual. Do you hear that? It's a force that brings good fortune or adversity. Why is that so okay to say or believe, but mention God and him blessing you, or Satan, him working against you, and you're often looked at as a kook? But I digress. Anyways, to know God is to be so in tune with him and what he says to you, what he does for you, how he interacts with you, and how you know him, that you literally can't stop but being able to testify about what God has done or said or been because that's your reality. That's your life. And to put it plainly, your life is really at its deepest level all about what God has done. Not us, but God. And sharing or testifying that fact with others. Think about it. That's basically what this uh, thing of worship is about. We come together for what? To sing of God's greatness. 
That's what we did. That's what Angie let us in. We sing of his overcoming. We sing of his power, his love. We honor him with our words and with our voices and with our presence here and now. And how does he honor us? By talking to us more. By showing us even more than we knew of his greatness and grace and mercy and power and love. Why? So that we can testify even more about him. Think of the servants given the, t- the talents. The one who gave more to the project got more in return. He got five. He doubled them and he got more. That's what Paul was doing in Acts 17. He was using all of his God-given talents and intellect so that others would come to the same place of reality and knowing God that he was at. And he knew how to do it too. In the first nine verses, Paul's in Thessalonica where, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. So Paul goes in there to speak to them says that he was there for three Sabbath days, which meant that he was there for at least two plus weeks. During that time, some started to believe, including some Jews, some Gentiles, and some, quote, leading or influential women. You know, that's one thing that Debbie and I uh, learned about Paul when we visited Ephesus a few years ago. Paul was a mover and a shaker, you know that? He went where the influencers were. The hoi folloi of his day. And there he tried to influence the people for Jesus. Even though he had been a huge persecutor of Christians before God spoke to him. Did you hear that? God spoke to him in Acts 9. That's what happened to Paul when he was on the road to Damascus. God spoke to him and changed his life. This life of this well-educated, wealthy, and very well-connected Jew. So I'm sure that Paul figured that if God could speak to him, a person who didn't even want to hear about Jesus beforehand, and in fact was literally killing believers that follow Jesus, that he knew that he could and would speak to any who would listen now because his testimony was so incredible and so of God. Anyways, it says that at the same time, he made quite an uproar there. Imagine that. Verse 5 says, The Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, They formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out out to the crowd. Boy, does that kind of sound familiar today, doesn't it? Christians making non-Christians mad for speaking truth. Then in a technique resembling uh, some of our government leaders today, it says, 
Verse 6, And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men have turned the world upside down. They've come here also, and, J- and Jason has received them, and they're all acting against the decrees of Joe Biden. Oops, that was Caesar. Sorry, just trying to see if you were listening. Saying that there was another king, Jesus. And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea, And when they arrived, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word. Let me repeat that. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them, therefore, believed. Why? Because God spoke to Paul, and he spoke to those who needed to hear the word. And not a few were Greek women of high standing as well as men. And they responded. But when the, when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who con- conducted Paul, in other words, his handlers, brought him as far as Athens. And after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So Paul sends for Silas and Timothy to meet him in Athens, which is also quite the city. But at this point, think about it. Paul's by himself. And he's there to carry on work in a place that he's already been accused of agitating crowds just days before. Now while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, it says his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. Do you hear that? God is speaking to Paul again. Only this time it's not in direct words, but his spirit was provoked. That's another way of knowing and hearing God too. You just feel so led that you almost can't not do something. So what does he do? He goes to the synagogue, and this time he goes alone. 17 says, So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Where? Basically in church and in the marketplace. In other words, any place he could find people to speak to. Some of the Epicureans, those who pursued pleasure, and the Stoic philosophers, those who were constantly serious and didn't get real excited over anything, also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. 
And they took him to the Areopagus. Pardon me, it's a hard word to say. Areopagus. The local governing hall. The courthouse of their time. Saying, may we know what this new teaching is that, you, that you're presenting. For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. I don't know about you, but that kind of sounds like Congress to me. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, says, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are religious. Now think about that statement. I perceive in every way that you are religious. Does he know how to schmooze them or what? For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, now keep this in mind, Paul was a good Jew. Paul knew only too well the Old Testament commandments that Moses had declared to the Jews. The first one being what? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And number two, you shall not make any graven images of things to worship. And what did he see there? Lots and lots of images and statues that were being worshipped. Now think about this. How did this make him feel? A little bit nervous maybe? A little bit upset? A little bit scared about what to say or do next? Maybe. But you know what? He moved forward anyway. And so he still goes on and says, I also found an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. And Paul says, let me tell you about him. Because I know him. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. What a statement. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needs anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Hear that. As for Paul, God, seeing God and finding God is possible. Knowing God. He says, yet he is not far from each one of us. None of us is far from God. That's wonderful news. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. 
because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, Jesus. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Well, that's nothing new. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. Bottom line, some didn't believe. Some said, eh, we got to think about this. And some, some said, okay, I'm in. And it all happened because God spoke to Paul. And Paul listened and acted and spoke to others. God spoke live and literal words that Paul heard. He also spoke to his spirit and provoked him to do things. He also spoke to his courage and allowed him to do things that he might not have otherwise done on his own. And people responded. And I would say that that's an assurance of God speaking. People respond and learn about Jesus and then they hear him and follow him and live changed lives because of it. Do I understand it all? All the ways that God works and talks to us? Absolutely not. And I told that to the executive that, that I talked to. But I do know this. I know what I know. Even if it's not everything there is to know. Do I understand the space telescope, much less any of the science it took to make it happen? No. I can't even... You know, remember those days when we had the, the VCRs? I could never get mine to stop blinking 12 o'clock. I'm not a techie. But do I need to know? I don't think so. I don't need to know such things because I know something more important. I know the one personally and intimately, the one who created it all in the first place, and I can tell you positively but he's got it under control without my feeble input or my second guessing him. And that goes for everything that any of us struggle with. I finally told the executive, you know, you've got young kids, don't you? And what do those little ones like you have really know about you? Do they know how to run a business? Do they understand when it's time to buy and when it's time to sell? Have they got multiple degrees and know how to use them? Nope. 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 What do infants and toddlers know about these people they're placed with? When they're hungry, this person gives them food. When they're scared, this person holds them tight and gives them comfort. Or makes them laugh. When they're tired, this person rocks them to sleep. And when they're wet, they get changed and made to be comfortable. 
And every now and again, they get taught something new, like how to eat real food, or how to walk, or how to say some simple words, or how to do some simple reasoning. Think about it. I don't know that I've seen it for a long time, but in the old days, some newspapers and TV stations used to have kindergartners give them recipes for how to make a Thanksgiving dinner. Remember those? Remember seeing those? How'd they answer? First, you take a turkey and you put it in a thousand degree oven for 10 minutes. Then you take a pumpkin and you wash it and you put it in a pan and bake it for 20 minutes and you get a pie. And on and on it went. It was humorous, but it was really inaccurate. You know, Jesus told us something so critical in Matthew 18, 2-4, when he said, he called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I got to tell you something. That after being there at the edge and just seeing a glimpse of what's yet to be, that not entering the kingdom of heaven is something that you absolutely don't want to have happen. It is that awesome. I can tell you that firsthand. I know that. That's something I know for sure that God has told me and shown me. I can testify to that. He finishes by saying, Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of God. Those are Jesus' words. You know, sometimes we worry about the silliest little things. Things that have absolutely, that we have no control over. And no ability to do anything about or handle. But we want to butt into them anyway. We still want to have power and control. Even the idea of understanding all that God knows. Which I can tell you isn't going to happen. Think of it this way. What do little kids do when they're confounded with that sort of reality that's above themselves to understand. Anybody? I know what I've seen. They cover their ears. And they shout, I can't hear you! La 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 la! Right? Am I right? The ironic part is that the older we get, the more we do this to the one we shouldn't be doing it to. God himself! I can't hear you, God! Nah, 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 nah. When in reality... God wants us to know him and love him and hear him and learn from him too, just like any good father wants his kids to know him. Never forget that God wants the best for you. And that best is him. That's why he sent Jesus, his son, here, so that you might learn about him and be able to hear him and know him firsthand. And share him with others who need to know him too. You know what? This might sound stupid to some. I might sound stupid to some. But the truth is, 
I really don't care. Because the most important thing to do in this whole life is to please and love the Lord God Almighty. Our Daddy, with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, just like He's loved us and told us and shown us through Jesus. That's more important than anything. To hear God and to know what God wants for us and from us in every situation we go through. So what does God think about some of the situations we find ourselves in here now? And how would he have us deal with them? Situations like climate change, gender bending, the election of people who have no business being in politics, much less leading millions of other people. Medical institutions that want to take his place as God. Global financial elites who want to rule us all, control us all, and make us all happy that they're doing it for us. I don't know. What has he told you when you asked him? I don't know about you, but quite frankly, I'm done. Stick a fork in me, I am done. I've had it with ridiculous self-serving rulers, and I'm taking up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's stance on it here, here and now, and stating to all who will listen, quoting from Daniel 3, Your Majesty, we will not try to defend ourselves. If the God whom we serve is able to save us from the blazing furnace and from your power, then he will. But even if he doesn't, Your Majesty, be sure that we will not worship your God and we will not bow down to the gold statue that you have set up. No debate, no bargaining, no lame reconciliation bill. We will not bow down. That's what God has told me. That's how he's wired me to live and be and hear and how he's asked me to respond and love him. He's first and foremost in everything. And I'm okay with that as long as I'm with him. What about you? Think about it. And pass on what God is telling you. Just know this. Yes, it is possible to hear him and know him. And it is very possible to have a living, working, loving relationship with him, the king of all creation. Seek, listen, respond, repeat. It's just that simple. God made it that simple for us on purpose. Because to him we are like little children. But that's important to him. You are important to him. Even as much as we don't know, you are loved by the king of all creation. Understand it. Grasp it. Share it. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Pray with me. Lord, I thank you so much for what you've shown us, for what you've told us, for how you've blessed our lives and helped us to know that you are there.
Help us to realize it even further. Show us your magnificence. And we will praise you to the end of the earth. We just thank you that you are better than anything else. Everything points to you, Lord. Help us to see you and know you and love you like we should. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Maybe somebody here is is just coming to that conclusion that God is the answer. And you've never come to that conclusion before. And you want to state, you want to come before this gathering and before our God and say what's on your heart. There'll be people up here to meet with you and pray with you for whatever God is speaking to you about right now. However he's leading you, whatever he's saying to you, thank him for it. Praise him for it. Worship him for it. And go in peace to serve him and his people every day. I pray that he shows you his face. He lifts that wonderful countenance upon you so that you can enjoy all that God has to offer you. In the name of Jesus, I pray.